Welcome back to another episode of the SARACast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning. This school year is now underway. Last night, I was speaking to my sister, an administrator at a school in Virginia, and she was sharing with me how inspired and proud she is of her teachers, of the families who are so grateful to have their students back in the building, of the students themselves who are wearing their masks and cooperating with all of these new policies and procedures. But then this morning, I was talking to my mom, an occupational therapist in schools who's working remotely, and she was sharing with me how frustrated she is by her inability to support her students in the way that she's used to. I think one thing that we can expect this school year is this wide range of feelings and experiences and the constant need to recalibrate and shift and change what we're doing based on what's happening in the world and our experience. One thing I've learned as an entrepreneur is that when we expect the unexpected, when we plan for things to go wrong, when we plan for change, we can better prepare for what's ahead. When I first began advocating for SEL and fundraising for this work 13 years ago, no one wanted to invest in soft skills or non-cognitive skills or non-IQ competencies. People would just look at me, shake their heads, and they really weren't interested in investing or prioritizing this work. They didn't believe that it mattered. I got so many no's that I eventually came to expect them, so I established a backup plan. I wasn't going to wait for investors to decide that SEL was important. I anticipated that most funders wouldn't prioritize funding this work, addressed it with an alternate solution, and moved forward. The idea of preparing for the unexpected is key when we think about sustainability in education. It's part of an overall shift in implementing a new program, a solution, a tool to sustainably shifting a school community. So if and when we get the phone call about a funder backing out on their commitment, which has happened to me too many times to count, we don't pack up our bags and head home. We have a path forward. I'm so excited for today's conversation with one of my dear friends and mentors, the godfather of social-emotional learning, Dr. Maurice Elias from Rutgers University. Maurice always challenges me to think critically about sustainability in SEL, and I hope you'll walk away from today's conversation with actionable ideas to establish sustainable SEL practices this school year. Today, I am excited to have one of Move This World and mine, longest standing advisors and friends, Dr. Maurice Elias, who's otherwise known as the godfather of social emotional learning. Maurice is a professor of psychology at Rutgers University, the director of Rutgers Social Emotional and Character Development Lab, and the co-director of the Academy for SEL in Schools. He is past president of the APA Society for Community Research and Action, and has received APA's National Psychological Consultants to Management Award, the Joseph E. Zins Memorial Senior Scholar Award for Social-Emotional Learning from the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, otherwise known as CASEL, and the Sanford McDonald Award for Lifetime Achievement in Character Education. Dr. Elias has provided a great deal of expertise and insight to move this world and me over the past decade and I'm so excited to be able to share some of his knowledge with all of you. Thank you so much, Maurice, for joining us. That's a pleasure. I thought before we'd uh, begin our conversation, we could start with a um, exercise to allow us to just check in with one another on how we're feeling. There is a lot going on in the world today, and we all have come from our respective 
gatherings, projects, phone calls, commitments into this uh, conversation. So let's take a moment to acknowledge those feelings, leave them behind so that we can be more present and engaged in this discussion. So um, let's go ahead and take a moment, um, put your feet flat on the ground beneath you if that's comfortable. And let's just take a breath. And now let's go ahead and identify how we're feeling in this moment. And what that feeling word or phrase looks like on our bodies. If we could attach a movement or a gesture to that feeling word, what might that be? Now let's take one breath together as we close in on and identify naming how we're feeling in this moment. Let's take a breath in and out. So what we'll do is we'll share our feeling word and our movement or gesture. And then um, what we'll do is we will mirror that back to one another. So I'll share my feeling word and movement. And then um, Maurice, you will do that um, back with me. And then you'll share your feeling word and movement and I'll mirror that back to you. Okay? I can go first. Um, I'm feeling curious. So we'll do that together. Okay, you're feeling curious. Curious. Okay. And I'm feeling uh, relaxed. Relaxed. Great, thank you. So that's a great um, way for us to take the emotional temperature of one another as we move forward into our conversation and, and consider that as we um, learn more about each other and this topic. So I thought we'd begin, uh, Maurice, with um, some of your work that is focused on the difference between implementing SEL and sustaining SEL. Can you explain to us what you mean by um, sustaining SEL? Yeah, you know, um, it gets to the issue that it's very easy to start something, but not so easy to sustain it. And so any of us that have tried to uh, develop a new habit, change a habit, maybe start a diet, uh, you know, implementing a diet is not the hardest thing in the world. Sustaining a diet is very challenging. Mm -hmm. And so it's true for SEL and SEL being a very complicated enterprise. Uh, in order to sustain SEL, it involves a lot of things that have to go right. And so um, I had a student, uh, I would say over 30 years ago, named Bill Cummins. And Bill did his dissertation on, uh, on one program, Social Decision Making, Social Problem Solving, and how it was implemented in four different settings with the idea of seeing what made a difference for how long it was sustained there. So it was, it was brought into all those four settings. Everyone was excited about it. And then the question is, 
where did it last and where didn't it last? And what he found was that when you bring something in easily and you, and you sort of contort it to make it easily digestible, it doesn't last as long. And that when people have to work to get it going, it tends to make it more sustainable. Now, we've learned a lot more since then about what makes something sustainable. But, it, but it's just the difference between implementation and sustainability. It's the difference between starting something and keeping it going. You know, something even in the SEL world, we've all read the meta-analysis that shows the fabulous effects of SEL, that, that, that 2011 child development article, so pivotal. In the fine print of that article, it says that those benefits that you get come from sustained SEL, not just from doing it for a few weeks or a couple of months or even just one year. So sustainability has also a lot to do with impact. And so in, on our team and our lab, our social emotional character development lab, um, in the curricula that we design, uh, we design for sustainability. We're thinking about uh, on, on the long haul and we're not making it easy and simple up front because we know that that's going to create a false impression and people that agree to do it uh, because it's, uh, I can fit that in. That only, mm -hmm. you know, uh, let me give you an example, practical example in the SEO world, mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness activities are so incredibly important. And I believe now more than ever, for kids and for staff to have what we call mindful moments at periodic times during the day, uh, woo, crucial. Within families, essential. But for some folks, they're seeing, they think mindfulness is SEL. And so, so you bring in SEL as mindfulness, you say, oh, that's no big deal. I could do that. But that's not what it is. So, so that this whole issue of uh, what is SEL, how do we bring it in, how do we sustain it, it is really important for the impact that we want to have. When you talk about the difference between implementing and sustaining, do you see um, that the implementers versus the sustainers are more likely to go about this as if they're just checking a box or meeting a requirement? Yeah, well, you know, I, there have been some settings that I've been working with for 30 years that have been doing this. And there's some settings like maybe 30 minutes, you know. Uh, and, 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 you know, the difference is most of the work that we're doing, and, and you know from your work, you're working very often with trained educators, trained artists, um, people who are trained in creative movement. I mean, they, they're as competent as, as they are. And, and we're not going to make them dramatically more competent uh, through what we're doing. We're going to change some of what they do. But, but the idea that we think so much about training, I think misplaces where the emphasis should be. The emphasis, I feel, should be on understanding. Because people that really understand SEL then have the technical skills to do it. But when we train them in something that, that they don't really understand, then the, the, the temptation to check the box is very great. Right. And the more you understand, the more you realize that we're talking about something 
that affects the lives of children. That, that, that they're, you know, it's going to sound strange, but in, in a COVID-19 environment, your ability to resist hugging somebody, to, to, to have the emotion regulation skills, to not go over to them, even though it's the thing you really, really want to do because you love them, can be a life or death decision. Mm-hmm. And so that's the importance of what we're talking about here with SEO. We're not talking about, you know, whether it's nice or not, you know, whether you can be online in front of me and I can be online in front of you. We're talking about something that is of pervasive and tremendous importance in all of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so if people have a superficial understanding of that, then yeah, let's check the box. You know, oh yeah, I can do it for 15 15 minutes a week of SEL, no problem. Yeah, 15 minutes a week of reading will give us a society of illiterates. Right. Uh, you know, 15 minutes a week of movement will give us a, a population that's unbelievably sedentary. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so when you understand the importance of something, then we can get into the technical issues necessary for carrying it out. So what would you say then are the greatest, most significant challenges in helping people understand the importance of social emotional learning and actually sustain it versus implement it? You know, I think we're talking about time and priority. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing technically uh, elusive about about SEL. It's not theoretical physics. Um, It's got its own complexities to implement it. You know, we we talk about, we say, well, it's not rocket science. It's got some rocket science elements to it because Mm -hmm. it's like blasting off a spaceship. You've got a lot of things go right to blast off SEL. Mm -hmm. But but we don't give it the time. Um, I've worked with districts where they've given, you know, a half a day in service to their staff on SEL and then wonder why they're not getting good implementation. And I've worked with a district um, uh, in, in New Jersey uh, where, where a troubled middle school devoted all of their professional development to SEL for a year. And they had wow. a remarkable turnaround. Wow. But that took a, a very special commitment on, on the part of the leadership of that school. Uh, and, and that's what made the difference. The staff were, they were happy about it because they realized that they needed that in order to really be successful with the kids against tremendous odds. Um, but that, that's, that is still the exception and not the rule. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Well, because people are not, they, they, again, they, fully, they don't fully understand that um, test scores are not the end goal of life. And, and you've heard me say this, I'll say it again, that our, our purpose in education is to prepare kids for a life of tests, but not the, to prepare them for, for the life, for, for the tests of life and not a life of tests. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this mentality also fuels our college dropout rate as we are so focused on getting the kids to be academically successful, that we don't recognize that using your academic knowledge is what matters. And so if you show up on campus with uh, an abundance of IQ and a real deficit in EQ, you're not gonna stay there very long. And, and, and that's something that people have a hard time getting their heads around, but it's, mm-hmm. it's the reality, it's important. So. So, so we, we, 
if we don't believe that SEL, social emotional competencies and character are determinative of, of what we do in life, where we go in life, how well we do in life, how well we relate to people in our lives. If we don't believe that, then um, we stay focused on test scores. Um, and yeah. I think, that's, I think that's, that's the core of the issue. But, you know, we're getting there because the evidence around us is, is becoming, sad to say, horrible circumstances often create evidence that's hard to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and we're seeing that now. And we're, we're seeing the limits to where IQ can take us. Yeah. You mentioned um, leaders being the ones who can make the decision to dedicate time to actually understanding social emotional learning and its sustainability. Uh, I will never forget when, probably at this point, um, 13 years ago, when we were doing this work and we were requiring leaders to do the self-work for themselves before cultivating social-emotional skills in students, understanding that if they didn't take care of themselves as educators, if they didn't put on their own oxygen masks, they couldn't then take care of students. If they didn't um, practice these skills, they couldn't authentically show up for their students and cultivate those same skills in a meaningful way. But we encountered a lot of resistance. And you said to me at the time, again, over a decade ago, Sarah, you know what? You have to think about it like uh, giving a kid an antibiotic in applesauce. You just have to backdoor it. And the adults will get the work inherently by doing it for the students. What would you say to those leaders um, who aren't, who haven't yet understood the importance of social emotional learning in, in, in sustaining it in their school communities versus checking the box in yeah. implementation. What would, what would you say to them if you could have, you know, a few minutes of their time? Yeah, and I get a few minutes of their time. Uh, um, and i tell you, I, I say this in jest to them. Uh, I will say to a group of super, and I have said to a group of superintendents, I say, even if you hate children, you should still want to promote their social, emotional, and character development because that will not, that will give you the best academic success you're going to get. Not only that, at the end of the day, it's going to give you your best rate of college completion, not, not college entry, but college completion. And it's going to give you the best statistics of who advanced the most in their job. And, and so even though we talk about this in jest, we have to get the leaders to widen their, their lens a little bit on, and, and here's an interesting angle on this, what is in their own self-interest? It's in their self-interest to be maximally successful. And, and our, many of our educational leaders dread the day when their dropout statistics from college get publicized. You know, we're in June now, and many communities at the end of June publish a listing of all the places their college students are going to go to. They're going to go to Yale and Harvard, and they're going to go to Stanford and University of Michigan, and and of course, Rutgers. Um, But a year later, they could be publishing a list that says, and here are the prestigious institutions that all of our kids dropped out of, Yale and Harvard and 
you know, Chicago and Stanford and but nobody keeps those statistics. And if we did keep those statistics, it would change what we did. Mm. So you have to appeal to leaders on a moral basis mm. that they need Smart. the right thing for these kids from a sustainability point of view, from a long-term point of view. I also joke with them about the fact that uh, we are nearing the day when we could train dolphins to get high scores on standardized tests. <laughs> the only thing that we haven't been able to figure out is how to train their flippers to hit the keys precisely because mm -hmm. they keep hitting the wrong key and they get the wrong answer and, you know. Um, and, and, and so the idea that it's all about the test and not what you can do with what you know is, uh, is something that, that we need people to, to get their heads around. Mm -hmm. And look, our accountability, that's why, that's why it's complicated. Our accountability structures, our siloing of academics here and the arts here and SEL here, you know, these, these, are, um, uh, these are anachronistic notions that don't befit the way we have to think about educated people in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, silos are not the way to go, but we're still in silos. So and for those... I'm sorry. So for those leaders who are saying, well, you know what, Dr. Elias, easy for you to say, um, you, I don't have time. I don't have X, Y, Z. What would you say to them in terms of overcoming those specific challenges? So, so I, there's a lot of things I say to them. One thing I say now is go to your computer uh, or your phone, type in SEL, the number four, us.org, SEL for us.org. And uh, look at the 18 and growing states that have state alliances around social-emotional learning. In any one of those states, you will find a number of schools that are doing what you're telling me can't be done. And on the other side, on the character side, I will say, uh, go to character.org and look at the list of national and state schools of character. And there's probably going to be some in your state. And, and so here are, other, here are schools that are doing exactly what you're saying you don't have time to do. They have found time to do it. They're academically successful. They're socially, emotionally successful. Their kids are happier. Their kids are productive. Their kids are making contributions to society. Their teachers like coming to work more than your teachers probably like coming to work. Mm. And so, I mean, you, you can say it's not possible, but it's possible. Why is it that these people down the street can do it? You can't do it. Right. Um, now, there, there, are, there are some reasons why that is. Uh, sometimes it's the configuration of staff, and sometimes there are constraints and resources. But, you know, but at every level of socioeconomics, there are schools of character and schools that are being phenomenally successful in SEL. So it's not like you're saying, well, those schools are different than my school. Pick a school, a school like yours, we'll find somebody that's doing it. And then you got to figure out how can they can do it. Right? Yeah, sometimes it's because they, as a staff, have invested in learning about it. Right. And so they, they are better at it because they put the time in to understand it better, and you understand it superficially. And so uh, you, maybe you've brought in a program 
you did it for a little bit and you say, but the kids aren't different. It, the program didn't work. And, you know, if you knew about SEL, you'd know that a program takes three years to work. Three years to work. At a minimum. With work being defined as the kids are starting to internalize this. Mm-hmm. We also have to recognize that kids don't internalize it just because you said it. That they need reminders. And, and that prompts and cues and reminders are the are the pedagogy of successful SEO. Mm-hmm. And, and practice. Know, and practice. Yeah. I was just doing a blog uh, that I submitted to Edgetopia. We'll see if they take it or not. But one of the uh, elements of it was to talk about the uh, SEL skills that are involved in learning to tap dance. <laughs> and uh, and Amazing. It's, it's a video, New Victory uh, Theater has a uh-huh. fabulous website. And, uh, and they... They're doing, they do tap dance instruction on that website. And, uh, is this what you're doing in quarantine, Maurice, learning to tap dance on the new victory theater website? I wish, (laughs) I wish, but I do, but I do plan to do it with my grandsons. Uh, that that's on, that's on my list, on my to-do list. Um, Amazing. But, but, but really, you know, when one looks at that and one sees, uh, what is involved in doing that, it, it, changes your understanding about the importance of, of SEL, that, that, that you could not absorb those tap dancing lessons without having some good SEL skills, such mm-hmm. as listening and following. Right. It's like I had to follow your directions when we started off here, uh, and I, I had to be able to imitate reasonably well what you showed me. And if maybe when I imitated you, I had pointed to my shoulder instead of my head, you would have corrected me. Mm-hmm. But probably at any point on my head that I pointed, you would, would have thought that was okay, even if it wasn't the precise place I pointed to. And so, so, so the, the, the gift in, in, in knowing you know, when you have to be corrective and, and when, you can, you know, when it's okay and let the person move on, all that's involved in, 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 in skill development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Since you mentioned um, the tap dancing um, analogy, as you know, Move This World is rooted in creative expression and techniques from expressive arts therapy, recognizing that um, creative expression is a vul- inherently vulnerable process. And so when we create work, when we express ourselves, we are tapping into a sense of self more profound than we would through other more cerebral contexts. Um, you've done a lot of work integrating SEL into different subject areas, specifically social studies and the visual and performing arts. Can you provide some advice for integrating SEL into other subject areas? And why do you think that's so critical? Well, you know, um, I look at SEL as being as fundamental to learning as reading. And, you know, you could be a really, really smart person, but if you don't know how to read, you're going to face many challenges in your life. And you could be a really, really smart person, but if you don't know how to read people and read situations, you're going to face many, many, many challenges in your life. And so, uh, so SEL, to me, underlies success in any academic subject area, 
and you know, and academic by academic, I mean anything that's taught in a school. So I'm including physical education, I'm including arts education, I'm including computer science. Everything is mediated by your social and emotional skills. So, but but in the arts in particular, I feel like that that having social and emotional competencies uh, attune students for success in the artistic processes. And in New Jersey, there's been a tremendous amount of work done to articulate that in detail so that arts educators can, can activate kids' SEL muscles mm-hmm. in almost everything they do by doing things with a little bit more intentionality. So, so let, me, let me give you uh, an example of that. Many times uh, a teacher, and I'm thinking of one teacher in particular in Metuchen, New Jersey, does a fabulous lesson on uh, Peter, Peter and the Wolf. And, and, and when she does uh, this lesson, she will ask the kids to talk about the emotions that the characters are experiencing and how they're conveyed in music. And in the past, she might have just asked the kids that question as a class and two or three kids would raise their hand. Now that she's really attuned to the SEL and arts connection, she wants every kid to have to articulate an answer to that question. And so there'll be pair shares or they'll be in Zoom breakout rooms and and they'll put things in chat boxes and, and every kid will have to speak to that issue. And that's the difference between SEL being invoked casually and SEL being invoked intentionally. And so when we go back to the, the connection, I, I, I'm trying to imagine the creative artistic process without empathy. I mean, hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. And, and try to imagine any artistic creation or performance without emotion regulation competencies. Not happening. And then, and then think about the, the ability of someone to communicate emotion in art with a larger or a smaller emotion vocabulary. Larger is better. And the same thing, of course, would be true in creative writing, that, that you get a really small emotion vocabulary. You're not going to write really interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Your, your understanding of the human condition is going to be pretty superficial. And, and so it is that the, the, the works of art that people admire, and, I'm, and whether we're talking about hip-hop art or ballet or classical, whatever we're talking about, um, that has been animated by people who've got some emotional nuance. And, and so the, the sender is sending out this message of, of, of artistic richness and complexity. Now, if I only have a mono receiver, I'm not going to get all that complexity. And I might find that piece to be pretty uninteresting. But if I had a really rich receiver that could deal with nuance and and appreciate the stereophonic quality, whoa, I'm going to like that a lot more. So, So SEL attunes people to be more receptive to the arts, to be more productive in the arts. And and these are things that are at the core of what makes people 
animated in, in so mm-hmm. many instances. Well, we, we, certainly, we certainly would agree with that at Move This World. Well, I mean, you know, I, and I, look, I've learned some of this from you uh, implicitly from some of our earlier conversations. And then in working with New Jersey arts educators, it's, all, it's really just sort of come to my consciousness to a, to a greater degree. I, I think in some of our conversations earlier, I was on mono. Uh, and, and I've expanded my, my receiver to really appreciate uh, this stuff um, more and more and more. And another thing that's mattered is the, is the idea that for some kids, uh, and, and, and Howard Gardner's talked about this in his multiple intelligences theory, that for some kids, arts are, are their multiple intelligence strength, whether it's musical art or, 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 or kinesthetic art or whatever the performing arts venue is. For some kids, that's their thing. And when the academic curriculum sloughs that off in the name of reading and math, we are literally cutting those kids out of the equation because the the path to success is almost never through the deficit. It's almost always through the strength. So I'm curious, we've seen um, in our experience elementary educators more... Um, bought into the idea of implementing and sustaining SEL than middle and high school educators. How does SEL differ at the middle and high school level, in your opinion? So, so you're absolutely right. We can say, you know, if we took a, a, a got a roster, we would find more elementary than middle and high school. Uh, if we looked at national schools of character, we would see the same thing. Most more elementary middle, fewer at the high school level. So uh, it has to do, I think, with two things, complexity and relationship. Uh, In the elementary schools, our kids are establishing strong relationships with a primary teacher. And that teacher uh, teaches them everything, including SEL. And so when that teacher teaches SEL, it is easy for that teacher to create the crosswalks through the various other subject areas and also bring SEL into the discipline system in the classroom, um, or, or we might just say into the classroom community structure in, in a way that, that all fits. When you get to middle and high school, you got a lot more people involved. You got some people that only see kids for certain subject areas. And so, uh, so, so you know, if I only have a certain amount of time to do social studies, uh, I don't want to take the time to teach SEL. And so that becomes uh, an interesting challenge. Who's going to do it? And, and then we have the interesting other reality, and you'll forgive me for keep talking about arts educators, um, but, but arts educators are, are unique in many cases in the secondary level for seeing kids in multiple years. So you, know, you have a sixth grade social studies teacher, a different seventh grade social studies teacher, a different eighth grade social studies teacher, but you may have the same arts, art teacher or music teacher for your three years. So they develop relationships with you and can become really important SEL influencers, but, not, they, but they shouldn't be the SEL instructors because they got enough to instruct in their subject area. So that's the challenge. How do we do it? Now, how have schools done it? in various ways. Again, we always, it's always easiest to look to examples. Um, 
in some high schools, they have a period of time devoted to something like SEL, life skills, uh, human development, um, something that becomes a period of time. And, and so the kids get it. And most importantly, it's not being taken out of somebody else's subject area time. But to me, the most critical place for this work is advisories mm-hmm. in middle and, and high school. Mm-hmm. That advisories are the place where um, social, emotional, and character development concepts can be introduced. Um, and, and kids can see them. They are explicit. And then they can be activated in the rest of the school day. And, and this is what we've done in, in our work um, uh, and, and, and I think that when, when that happens uh, as the totality, it's more effective than when it happens in, in smaller pieces. Not mm-hmm. that it's not invaluable in smaller pieces. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we're doing work on integrating SEL and social studies. And, um, and the point of it is to bring kids to a better skill level when it comes to analyzing social issues, past, present, and future, to uh, begin to develop skills for social action, i.e., let's not just talk about things, let's think about how do we make things better? How Mm -hmm. could we have made things better in the past? How can we make things better in our community, in our school, in our classroom, in the present? What What are the skills of situation analysis and action? To me, that's what social studies is is all about. And so, um, so if the kids only get SEL through this social studies instructional experience, um, my 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 intuition is if they get it over three years, that will make a substantial difference in their lives. That's actually something we're looking for funding to study systematically because my intuition is one thing data would be better. <laughs> so um, when you talk of, when you talk about the relationship between social emotional learning and action or civic engagement, um, what does that look like, especially um, today with students finding their voice um, to advocate for so many of the social issues um, in their worlds? What is the relationship between social emotional learning and, and civic engagement and how do you see schools prioritizing that? So this, this is only a, like a 45-minute thing. Um, this is a, this is a, this is a, a society-defining topic because if we truly are going to be a democracy, we have to give our kids the capacity to do exactly that, which is to be able to analyze social issues, understand what actions need to be taken, and then be disposed to take those actions. Mm-hmm. But, but let's, let's pick a piece of this. Um, let's talk about empathy and compassion. How is anything productive going to be addressed with regard to racism in the absence of having empathy and compassion? Mm-hmm. So, so the, the, the fundamental, one fundamental contribution that SEL, so-called social emotional character, however you want to call it, is making is in helping us to approximate the emotional experience of people who we're not with, about whom we want to learn, about whom we want to understand. And, you know, when we, when we sanitize history, 
when we help kids, we don't help kids understand that um, history was created by people making decisions in real time under difficulty, uh, then, then we're not helping our kids develop the sensitivities they need. And, and by the way, again, and, I, and, and I, going back to the arts here, but in the arts education, we under, under teach, I feel, the, the life and context of composers. So, so that there are people now who, if you ask them to give up their Netflix, they'd kill you. But they're <laughs> happy to defund the arts curriculum in their school district. Mm -hmm. That's the disconnect between mm -hmm. understanding that everything you're relying on on Netflix is creative arts production. And if you didn't have creative arts education, you wouldn't be watching anything on Netflix or any other platform. But yet the disconnect is there. And so somehow we want our kids to become social activists and aware, but we, we aren't connecting them to the, to, the, to the way history actually happens. And, and they have to understand people. You know, we, demonization is not a substitute for understanding. And we have to be willing to understand what we then don't agree with. Think of the emotion skills involved in that. There are many. And if our kids do not have those emotion skills, emotion recognition skills and self and others, differentiating emotions, they're not going to be able to do that. And then when they approach social issues in the present, they are not going to be able to provide the nuance that's necessary for reasonable judgment. Uh, and also when you demonize, how can you compromise? Right. So can you provide a specific example of what civic engagement looks like at the elementary, middle, high, and um, higher education levels? Well, for, first of all, in any, at any point in K to 12, when you have kids creating, co-creating the, the, um, the operating rules for their classroom, mm -hmm. that is a, an example of civic engagement. Mm -hmm. And when you have a, a difficulty bullying, exclusion, teasing, harassment, drugs, cheating. When you empower the students, elementary, middle, and high school, to be, to a, to be part of the solution, that's civic engagement. When you bring people in to the school from the community to educate your kids about community issues and problems, and then you think about how we get our kids to engage in service learning, that is civic engagement. Service learning is something that happens in schools from preschool through 12th grade, and then should continue in higher education. So in, in, in well, let me just start with preschool and then I'll jump to higher education. In preschools, kids have jobs, right? Yet you're a preschool kid, we're gonna, somebody puts out the mats. Mm -hmm. Somebody puts out the cups. Somebody walks around with the juice and somebody walks around with the paper towel behind the kid that walked around with the juice because the kid's gonna spill the juice because the kid's a kid. And so we normalize the act of cleaning up because 
it's an inevitability. Who doesn't? Oh, he spilled the juice. No, he's going to spill the juice. That's why we have a kid with a paper towel behind him, and maybe another kid with a paper towel behind him. And they love it. Kids love to have these jobs. They, it's a source of pride. Somehow we forget when they get into the up, upper upper elementary grades. By then, they don't have any responsibility in the classroom. I work with a school where a teacher worked with kids to take responsibility for cleaning up the lunchroom in a way that the staff didn't have to do quite so much because some of the things that the kids did were egregious. Parents objected to that. And they said, it's their job. And now we, we know who we're pointing to when we say their job because it was not the white upper class folk who were the cleaning staff. It's their job to clean up, not my child's job to clean up. So this is what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. But, but as kids, kids are happy to serve. Kids want to serve. And in fact, Tim Shriver wrote an article not that long ago about how COVID-19 should lead to a national call to service. I think he is so right on with that. In higher education, uh, it, it is my mission for every college student at Rutgers to be engaged in community service. We've got a community that surrounds Rutgers, New Brunswick, which is a, uh, a troubled school district. It's got a tremendous disparity of income and it's got a tremendously high minority population that are also the low income population. You go to Yale, you find the same thing around, with New Haven around Yale. You find the same thing around University of Pennsylvania. You go to so many of our schools and they're in the same situation. Why can we not have our students have an obligation to be of service to the surrounding community? I think, I, and I, I think it, this is, it, it is the norm. I think that every student should be engaged in a beyond the self sense of purpose mm-hmm. as a positive contributor to the world around them. And I think that's part of higher education. And we begin to build in that sense of civic engagement. We've actually done some studies at Rutgers with the fact that a lot of kids come in having done a lot of service and there's a huge drop off when they get to Rutgers because they're so busy wanting to build their, get their grades up. Mm. But also we find that for a lot of the kids where there's the drop off, they were doing it as the checkbox in their high schools. Mm. That they were engaging in community service, but not service learning. Mm. And service learning is where you prepare yourself for what you're going to do that before you go to a soup kitchen, you study poverty, or you study the biology of nutrition, and then you go to this place, and then after you go, you debrief and discuss the emotions that you had and the things that you saw. And then after that, you, you demonstrate what you did for someone else. You take what you learned and you communicate it to someone else who maybe wasn't fortunate enough to share your experience. That's service learning. That's learning that engages all the SEL skills and builds character in the same context. So, so important. Well, and, and so from pre-K through higher education, 
uh, we need to be fostering the, the competencies, the dispositions of, of civic engagement at, as part of social contribution. Certainly today, more than ever. So I'm so glad that you're doing that work. Thank you, Maurice. Last question. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to do this research, to write about this, um, to advocate for it. But you, as the godfather of social-emotional learning, what do you do, Maurice, to practice um, social-emotional learning in your day-to-day life? How do you stay mentally, emotionally, and socially well? Well, maybe you should get my uh, children uh, on, the, on, the, on this uh, interview, and they might, uh, they might challenge that assumption about my uh, mental and emotional wellness. But another <laughs> uh, story. Um, you know, I, 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 I try to be aware. Uh, I think self-awareness for me is, is one of the most important things um, that I do. Um, uh, I, I, I try to be aware of my impact on other people. Um, and I, I also try to develop proactive structures to make it uh, easier for people to come forward with negative feelings. You know, I mean, if people aren't satisfied with something, uh, in a workplace, in a lab, in a class, it is, um, it's hard to come forward. And so I, I, I pay a lot of attention to how do, I, how do I create structures that are congruent with my value system. Um, and that's a work in progress, but, but I do try to attend to that. And the other thing that I have discovered through the, um, I mean, I, I've known this, but I've discovered it more during the COVID isolation is the importance of, uh, of uh, physical uh, exercise and movement. Mm-hmm. So, I, so, so a quick story, my, my wife has, uh, fell and broke her shoulder uh, right before um, Passover. Right oh, sorry to hear that. And so she has been having to go to doctors, but also physical therapy three times a week. Mm. And I take her, but I can't go in because of COVID. So I started walking around parking lots, et cetera, during that time. Uh, and uh, and with my phone, and I'm reading the New York Times on my phone. And I have felt this to be such an important uh, contributor to my well-being. Uh, the, the movement, mm-hmm. the, the, the engagement in, in just thinking about something different than work or family, it's, it's now something that I am committed to integrating uh, into my normal routine, you know, when we get back to a, a so-called normal routine. So um, I've always thought, but now I'm really, really convinced about the need for some kind of physical movement. That's uh, right. And, and I've always been drawn to music. Um, uh, I, I, the, the only time there's silence uh, in, 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 in my household is when I'm on a podcast or something like this. Otherwise, there's always music going on in the background, um, and, and I find it very, very sustaining, very, very relaxing, very inspiring. So those, those are some of the things that, uh, that help. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing, and I hope that they inspire someone else to try um, a new strategy that works for you that may also work for them. 
So we'll go ahead and and close our conversation um, today. Maurice, thank you so much for being so generous with your expertise and with your time. And we'll close um, with three intentional breaths as a way for us to kind of bookend this conversation and transition to whatever we're going to do next. And we can be more present for that. So let's take this first breath for the importance of social emotional learning and civic education and character education for ourselves, our students, our uh, families, and our world. Let's take this second breath for the opportunity and the responsibility we have to put those social, emotional, and civic engagement skills to action to help um, progress and solve some of the issues that we face. And let's take this third and final breath for ourselves. May our days be meaningful and productive and our nights peaceful. Thank you so much, Maurice. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. You're a great inspiration to me. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. You've taught me so much. Be well. Thank you for tuning into the SarahCast today. I loved spending this time with you. Before you go, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in and breathe out. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on movethisworld.com. The SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning, is produced by the Move This World Audio Network. Move This World supports social-emotional learning for students, their families, and their school communities through evidence-based curricula rooted in creative expression and movement. You can find additional resources to support SDL in your district, school, classroom, or home on our website, movethisworld.com. I'll see you next time.